Welcome to Totally Classic. I am Brendan McNamara. And I am Andy Swindler. And today, man, what is the actual question we're asking? Oh, is is Palestine-Israel solvable? Is that the question? Or can Israel-Palestine be solved? Um, yes. Yes. So, wait, is that the answer? Is that, yes, that is what our question is. How easy would this episode be if we could be like, yep, it is. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, coming out to this evening. Actually, I think we went with a different question. I think we said, can Palestine be free? Oh, there we go. I think I like that one better. That's yeah. a better one that we that we came up with. Good job, past selves. Can Palestine be free is the question of the day. Obviously, we're talking about Israel-Palestine. We are going to do our best to lead, let's leap right into it. Let's go. My proposition of an outline. Are do you are you pulling the outline up or do you already have it? No, no, I was silencing my phone. <laughs> oh, okay. Really so, rigid studio uh, best practices. Yeah, that. absolutely. Um, so what I've been doing, actually, I've just been cleaving to this lately. It's actually really helped me uh, understand some things with my wife and my personal life. Uh, I'm going to call this my this approach cleaning the room, cleaning your room first. My wife is a little, I, I considered it somewhat obsessed with like visual cleanliness, declutter, cleaning, that sort of thing. I don't, that sort of stuff doesn't super matter to me. I can think pretty clearly in a chaotic space. Um, she cannot. I've often thought it was like, okay, that's just her gig or whatever. That's your deal. My dad's like that too. I've never really understood it. It's just like, whatever. That's just what they're like. And I can understand the why. I just don't like deeply understand it. Two or three weeks ago, I started to understand it when I realized I do need the same, just like she needs a clean like workspace in order to begin working, thinking, apprehending undistractedly. I need that ideologically. So if a concept comes up or a thesis is presented or people start arguing about something, I find it very difficult to like even focus on what in the world we're talking about until we can like clean the room. We can like broom the room of all the malarkey. And we sort of did this on the abortion episode. Uh, and I realized I was like, oh, this is very much, for better or worse, a window into how my mind works. As I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, before we begin, let's get rid of everything that doesn't need to be here. Um, I think this is great, actually, for business, too. Let's get rid of every employee who does not need to be involved in this operation. Anybody who needs to, let's get... Like, I don't know if you've been in interminable, like, meetings, business meetings, like, in a corporate setting or whatever, even a collective setting, and you realize, there's too many people here. Oh, uh, so website. I'm really sad this uh, died, I guess, but it was called Meet or Die. Yeah. Meetordie.com, I believe. And it was it was actually really well designed. And it was like, okay, who's in your meeting? And yeah. as you added people, it had this, like, monster on the left, and he yeah. would get angrier and angrier and angrier <laughs> so it had this like cute um i don't know emotional kind of conveyance but then it also yeah. was adding up the the quantifying the expense of your meeting as oh, you wow yeah yeah named, named people and titles and be, so you get to the end and you're like wow that was a three thousand dollar meeting and this monster is very very angry yeah. this is the problem <laughs> yeah that's a great way to think of it i like that i mean obviously not really feeding two people to real monsters but it would be fun to at least feed people to a cartoon monster and take your costs down. Yep. So my goal um, with the outline was uh, 
surveying over the past month, things have changed actually quite a bit over the past month. Um, but even this this list sort of began a month ago when I was like, okay, these are popular arguments that people need to stop having or popular theses that people need to stop having. And I don't think we agree on them all, but I was like, let's bring them all up and try to see. It's almost like picking things up and being like, hey, is this really relevant or is this just like super distracting? Um, and then if not, like, let's dispose of it. So if nothing else in this conversation, y'all, this might be a helpful technique for anybody listening at home who's like, how do I talk about these things? I think you can find common ground often most swiftly in, hey, what things aren't relevant here? Like accusing people of anti-Semitism or accusing people of Islamophobia or blah, blah, blah. You know, these sort of tribalistic things, those are easy. You can actually find points of agreement um, easier. But I don't want to do that. Let's start. I was going to say, hey, let's rule of threes and end up at genocide. But let's just start with genocide. Because I think well, we just... Quick, though, Go. You, you hinted at a piece of context that mm. might be useful, just in case somebody's yep. dropping here for the, for the first time. And yep. that's really what we're all about. Yeah. Brendan and I uh, have loved each other for decades at this point. That makes us sound old. And, and, and we realized, actually... Order of a century of love. A couple years ago ish that we we were a couple of things were happening one is that we were especially related to the pandemic and covid having unimaginably different experiences <laughs> yeah uh, social social experiences and and sort of bubble experiences and news experiences we talked a lot about that in season one um and we just see uh we have different opinions about some pretty major ideological issues um and then it just seemed like is it possible for us to model that and it was so this kind of just emerged out of us having these conversations and then one day saying i don't know let's hit record and maybe that's valuable so i appreciate a yeah. second ago that you said you offered maybe some tip for how to have these conversations because that's that's what we believe in whatever yeah. you believe <laughs> we believe that we should be having <laughs> real conversations about these things yeah. and not just sort of bouncing off each other based on one ideology or one um I don't know one point of divide especially when we believe and I think can prove in various ways that we're we're fed a lot of division uh oh, we're for sure. encouraged to be divided in various ways yeah I mean the algorithm definitely kicks stuff to you I mean the social media but this is also in terms of searches this is also if you have, I was just, I've got my, my kids just bought themselves an iPad this week. Um, and I was just telling you, I had to, I immediately deleted the news feed. Um, a, cause Apple news has a left bias thing. And I was like, I, why would you ever want your kid fed a bias anything when you know, it's that you're like, let's not do that. Also, my kids don't need to see news headlines constantly. Unless it's the right all. bias. <laughs> right. Exactly. Unless it's proper and correct. Um, but Hey, they don't need all that. Right. But then, so that's so funny is that I think how, how how manipulated we are being i think it is it is i think it's part of the the plan of uh weaponizing our uh, irritation and anger and discomfort and fear uh for probably just commercial purposes uh, but our antidote is democracy and again since we're talking about israel palestine there oh my goodness are some people who have stopped talking and you can see a very extreme version of what happens when people stop trying to understand each other or trying to, this is the thing I've been dreaming about this week, uh, outdo one another in acts of love mm. and grace. I just started thinking about that. Uh, this is, I'm already procrastinating, but like, I was like, oh, wouldn't that have been so much better 
if that's what they started competing in, if they hated each other, if they were just like, oh yeah, show you how much we love you then. We're going to love you so hard. You're going to be embarrassed. This is going to be embarrassing how loving we are to you. And they'll be like, oh, oh, really? You you spiteful infidel. Here's how much we love you. Check this out. And they just tried to like constantly outdo one another in acts of servanthood. And yes, obviously I'm a Christian. So this is like just boilerplate, like uh, New Testament malarkey. But I got excited about it, just sort of imagining it. I, I allowed myself to just live in the fantasy land of like five minutes of like, oh, what would a war of outdoing one another in love, acts of love be like? It could still be aggressive and hateful, um, but it, was, it would be so much more beneficial. And uh, if we could talk more, I think we could kind of we could kind of arrive at that. It's just real easy to get mad enough and then you want to punch someone in the face or throw a rocket at them or, or rape them and cut their boobs off or whatever. So, so we're going to launch a reality TV show called Love Wars. I think is where that's heading. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to win. <laughs> I was in a four day restorative justice training this week with with my wife, which was really, really powerful. Just to sit in circle that long, and at one point, um, one of the I think it was one of the trainers was saying this idea that uh, to to truly love, like there there are forces working against love. So to truly yeah. love, we have to also fight and that that was intriguing to me and then i think part of the confusion with with love is in in the in the idea of especially large-scale conflicts and war you know is is part of the argument often seems to be well i'm doing this out of defense Mm. because i love my people Mm -hmm. so this this conflict of love it's like well these people love their people so much they're they're going to fight for it these people love their people so much they're going to fight for it but I think what you're suggesting is, you know, how do we how do we expand that love to to the yeah. other? Yeah. How do you? Well, that's the that's the big potent thing, right? We've heard it said that you should love your neighbor as yourself, but the call is to love your enemy. And listen, sometimes you can love your enemy by killing their their neighbor. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it, it makes it much more complicated. But that's at least the goal that we're going for here. And one of the ways that I like to love, though, is hey. Uh, Anything that could be construed as a lie or false, let's get rid of it. Let's stop. Let's stop consuming poison. Uh, I say that literally as I sip the last sip of a cocktail. So I'm well aware of the of the uh, sort of dichotomy of strangeness in my own life. But or so let's let's, let's clean let's the room. Turn. Let's discern the poisons we. Invest. Let's discern. Let's let's cho- pick your poison, right? Let's choose. Yeah. So I wanted. It's originally going to start with like, okay, here's the thing I noticed immediately, Andy, when I started running into this was like. Um, and I did this uh, uh, years ago, and I've sort of returned to it time and again. And I definitely, in the last month, have been super intense in it, like research mode, reading mode, interview, just consuming as much as I could to try to like make some sort of map of meaning. The thing that kept popping up to me, because this is how my brain works, is like, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. So people like uh, on October 8th or whatever, October 7th, even in the evening, October 7th, I, I sent you a bunch of the examples that we talked about sort of in the intro uh, of people like celebrating on the 7th and like, this is what uh, decolonization means. What do you think it meant? You know, nerds or whatever she called people, losers. Um, uh, it was like, a I don't know, some journalist. And then, and I was like, well, wait a second, colonization. I was like, that, that doesn't really make any sense here. Like that's, that's, that's not a relevant concern, but it was like, it was a super popular refrain. And so then I just was like, oh, let me just start compiling those. So, but instead of starting colonization, which was the first one I saw, um, I was like, let's start with genocide. Cause I think we disagree on that one. So then to me, I put genocide like as something, especially this is reaching all the way back to like October 7th, 
that it was essentially saying like these people were responding to an ongoing genocide, like an ongoing genocide attempt. I think we have a slightly different framing now, a month later, that wherein we can consider it sort of anew. Um, but to me, this constant refrain that I've and I hear, I've literally seen every single day for uh, whatever a month and a half or a month, almost two months now. Um, is that uh, Israel is there's an ongoing genocide occurring. Um, and essentially, no one should be turning a blind eye. And I don't think people should be turning a blind eye. Generally, plenty of people. Listen, I don't know what your life is. I don't know how full it is. You know how full it is. Um, you know how much social media scrolling and Netflix uh, streaming you're doing, um, which would suggest your life not being full. Um, but I don't know how full your life is, but generally we shouldn't be turning a blind eye to uh, genocide. And if someone cites genocide, we should certainly pay attention. And so I started paying attention to that. And it, it, especially early on, dug in and I was like, oh, wait, is this true? And as far as I could tell, like in terms of just information, I was like, OK, I can't validate this claim. But people haven't stopped saying it for two months. But then you and I talked about it and you were like, oh, yeah, I do think it is a, it is a the genocide label is an is an appropriate one as to an inappropriate run. So here we go. We're picking up the first object in the room. Do we put this away? Do we throw it out of the room? Or do we keep it on the table? What do you think, Andy? Yeah, let's let's dive into that. Um, I mean, the the one hopefully brief piece of context here is that you know I traveled with my wife in a small group uh, to the West Bank of Palestine and Israel about a year ago. Um, went pretty deep, actually. Interviewed a lot of folks there. I've launched a project called Unpacking Palestine to to go through that footage and. It's just, once again, just a good example of how Brendan and I pour through, I don't know, it, issues and situations and massive amounts of content. You know, I, I tend to be a bit more maybe um, if I have access, which is kind of a luxury in this situation, uh, awesome. more, more interpersonal. Like, oh, I'm going to hear these stories, uh, which inevitably are all biased, right? I mean, that's just human nature, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Like Brendan... Is the is going to do? I don't know. What did you say? A hundred hours of research and looking at through many, many different lenses. Um, one thing that comes up very consistently, and I think it's part of the issue here with the word genocide, is is this semantic or language piece of yeah. like yeah. what does the word even really mean? So yeah, and I think you've dug deeper into that than I have. Um, and and then and if anybody has you know the one fan out there who's listened to every episode knows I tend to be you know left lefty socialist kind of leaning activist semi um recovering like woke social justice warrior and i don't know how would you define your your bias or your approach i don't know how would you define it you're you're defining yours pretty well i was like i agree with your own definition you can you can define I, mine and i'll just agree or disagree <laughs> uh how do i define you uh well like i said a, a prolific like researcher like a ravenous <laughs> consumer of like deep information somebody who doesn't settle for headlines or high, high level like assumptions and reference points in journalism you're like show me the study like show me the evidence and, yeah yeah and that's how you get to truth and i really appreciate that about you um and i don't know i don't you've helped me sort of recover from probably like a bit of an anti-christian bias and and just Oh, whatever you know it's just going to be all wrapped up in some some bible verse or some you know view of god which I, i'm not even adverse to in my own spirituality at all but i think i maybe i used to think that oh like when you if you try to look at like 
sort of tangible world issues through through that lens, it's going to be distorted. And I don't, you've helped me sort of recover from that and be like, um, but that, that said, I don't know that you're the typical Christian that way, whatever that means. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Um, I think I'd be the typical Christian, meaning a Christian. I probably wouldn't be the typical Christian of the person checking the box. Um, yeah. But I, I generally, as I've said on here, I think before, I think about 20, maybe 20, maybe. 40, 40% max of people who go to church every week and call themselves Christians are would be Christians technically, which we yeah. might get into as relates to Muslims and Jews in this conflict too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so genocide. So as far as I could tell, I would, um, and the way I sort of filtered it, I'm kind of looking at my notes right quick, so that's why I'm sort of speaking it slowly. Um, so I looked at genocide and to me, especially on October 8th, the reasons I was like, hey, genocide doesn't make any sense as a... Uh, the thing, well, sorry, the way it made sense was the UN definition of genocide basically says any attempt to harm, uh, harm, kill uh, any group or state even in whole or in part. So by the UN definition of genocide, I think it's indisputable that what's happening in Gaza is a genocide. I think, however, by that definition, it's indisputable that every conflict in the history of the world is a genocide, which makes genocide a really stupid. The, the UN is not the best run organization. They're not the most, well, they're not a very reasonable organization. They do lots of weird things. So I think their definition sucks. Um, just because it, it starts to make genocide, it, uh, it doesn't mean anything. And but, but the thing is, genocide does mean something, meaning when you say it out loud, people have a very visceral response. But if genocide just means hurting any group of people in part, then that's all wars. Like us fighting the Germans was an attempt to genocide Germans. And you're like, well, that's, that isn't how I thought about it. Right. That's how none of us think about it. So in some ways I think UN definition is an improper semantic, but by the UN definition, it's inarguable that what's happening is a genocide. That to me is the, like the strongest argument for people using that term as they have over the past, like two months. And I think if you happen to have the exact language that may be helpful, but I think what you're getting at is that it's, it's broadly like I, the key thing there I'm, I I'm guessing is like the quant, the quantity of people that are affected. So it's like a mass, a sort of a mass amount of people. And, you know, I don't know what that sort of cutoff is, or maybe it's relative to sort of the area. Um, whereas I think what you're getting at is that it would maybe be more useful to, to, to have a definition of genocide that includes intention. Yeah, if the, yeah. to me, the intention would be like, we're trying to kill, like, this is how I just colloquially use it and how I think a lot of people respond to it. It's very similar to ethnic cleansing, right? Except yeah. the the goal is not just like uh, regional, but the goal is ultimate. You know what I mean? As with like the Turkish Armenian genocide, they literally like, we're trying to kill all the Armenians, all of them, all of them, or get rid of, or often even displace, right? We're trying to displace all of them. We saw this in uh, Iraq, right? Or in Kuwait, they got rid of what was it, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. They were like, literally like all Palestinians get out, go get out of here. In which case you're like, okay, well, if there's also threat of death, that could kind of be genocide. To me, it's, it has to be the targeting of a particular group. A def and this is the other thing, a definable group. And then the attempts, deliberate, systematic, it would help me to define it as such if someone said it out loud, right? If someone kind of stated the intention, we know Hitler stated his intention to genocide, kill every ding dang Jew that he could get his hands on. Um, 
that it would help as well. So that that to me is a better definition of like how we actually functionally as human beings use genocide in the word in in English. Whereas yeah, the UN a... definition is all it's all war. All war is genocide. In which case you're like, oh, okay, well now it, genocide is not a useful term at all because then it just means fighting. Which you're like, you're fighting these people, and it's like at that point no one disagrees, and there's nothing specifically wrong with that. Whereas I would contend genocide. Uh, enacted by human means alone, human adjud adjudication alone uh, is generally. I would I would accuse I would accuse it of it. It has to. If you're going to genocide a people group, the standard of evidence that you have to bring to bear to justify what you're doing has to be impeccable. It has to be unapproachable. Uh, I'm I'm not saying it's impossible that it, it would. It's okay. It's whatever. I'm I'm opening. I'm I'm a liberal. Right, I'm in terms of politics and dealing with other people, so I have to be open to this to the the mind frame that genocide is sometimes okay, somewhere, somewhere at least arguable. But to me, if you're going to it, if you're going to engage in genocide, you better, you better be like it, it has to be the best evidence in the world. Like it has to be beyond. It's like beyond of a shadow of a doubt type of thing. There must be no doubt in you that what you're doing um, is justified. Uh, and I think a lot of times the evidence really sucks when people do engage in genocides. And most, it seems convenient and the arguments are lame and they tend to kill or censor the people who disagree with them. So you can kind of tell how, how much their arguments suck. And I want to offer something here because it, it might sound like, you know, you sort of picking apart the word genocide is to in some way invalidate the harm that's being done or the, or the, the or the, I think you would use the word war. I think that's part of your argument, right? It's just like, look, why do we even need to call it a genocide? It's a war. War is war is hell. War is awful. What's happening is it's disgusting, disgusting, and horrific. And I, let, I, let's have I, that I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah. Um, I hate it. Yeah, but it's the same as if like, oh, did that person? Uh, was it a domestic abuse situation? Or was it rape? And you're yeah. like, well, okay. Uh, and this is gross and terrible. Both of those are terrible. I hate both of those. No one should be doing either one of them. But like, is did his is his penis end up inside you? But let's be specific about yeah. the harm that was done so we can yeah. actually yeah and you because you can't right if you if you're like oh my god because then it invalidates no one believes you after that after they show like you're like oh my gosh he he let's say this is terrible this is just a disgusting example he raped me every night and you'd be like i want to cut that person's uh, penis off and put it in a formaldehyde jar and make him look at it uh, every day i'll just bring it in and show it to his face that's how i want to respond to that guy but then if we found out that actually what happened every night was like Maybe he, he squeezed your boob and it was sexual assault. And then he slapped you in the face a bunch of times. I don't want to necessarily cut that guy's penis off and put it in a formaldehyde jar and stick it in front of his face. Uh, I think he should be removed from you. Um, and maybe I would like him to get slapped around or whatever for a while. And I certainly don't want him to slap you and touch your boobs anymore. Um, he should be deprived of, of your person. He should not be near you. Uh, he should not be allowed to come near you. Uh, even with your permission, honestly, I think you'd need a couple years to really psychologically figure out whether you're going to enable that. So like it's a, but they're entirely different situations. And if you claim the false thing, the problem is once people figure out it's a false thing, then they're like, wait a second. Oh, no. And this can happen just because uh, trauma induces like stress induces trauma responses induces, I think, poverty of thinking sometimes. But at that point, if you think about that as a domestic abuse situation, once they figure it out, oh, wait, he never raped you. Let's say you get an exam. You find out, oh, it's, I don't know. I don't know how ex sexual exams work, but they, they found out you haven't had, there's been no sexual contact with your body for a month. Then all of a sudden you're a liar. And then no one believes anything you say. And then this disgusting person in my fantasy scenario is allowed to keep grabbing your boobs and punching you in the face. Whereas I would not want that to happen anymore. 
So likewise with the genocide claim, you're like, can we valid? Can we validate it? Well, and I think maybe this will branch into some related concepts. And you're like, no, we're going to validate or invalidate this one. Um, to me, I, I've been struggling to call this a war because war yeah. to me implies some level of balance of power. Yeah. And I don't, I don't perceive an actual balance of power here whatsoever. And I think that's, and that's, that's one lens we've looked through a number of different ways, right? Yeah. It's like, okay. If we're just zoomed into like Israel and, and Palestine, which we consider the West Bank and Hamas, and I assume it will come up at some point in this conversation, like, well, what the hell is Palestine in, in the first place? Um, that, that looks a certain way. And, and we know Israel is a very powerful military that's funded largely um, and supplied largely by our country, the United States. But then you you zoom out and you're like, well, okay, so I, I don't. But coming back to genocide, there's no question that yeah. Jews have been the subject of horrible genocide for millennia. Sure, time yeah. Time again, I mean that that's clear because to your point that the intention has always, well, not maybe not always, but it's demonstrably been there. Of course, the yeah. Holocaust is the the most egregious example, but there's plenty of others. The Jews. Oh been, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah targeted and and killed and forced out of numerous places and 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 so you know i my bias is pro-palestinian as i've stated a number of times largely because i've met friends there and walked the land i also have friends in israel so don't get me wrong um but i see this imbalance of power where even the rockets from hamas which are the most powerful weapons the palestinian has typically the best example is is uh in my experience, is so much more about the West Bank than Gaza. So I do want to make that clear. I don't yeah. stretch an expert on what's happening in Gaza. I'm not even an expert on the West Bank. I don't know what that word even means, an expert. But that's where I've seen things with my own eyes. Yeah. One of the things I've seen is that, you know, you, tr- you drive around the West Bank and you see checkpoint after checkpoint of Israeli um, military IDF with automated weapons. Uh and the, none of the Palestinians are armed, right? So you hear stories about children yeah. throwing rocks at, you know, military vehicles and then being shot. And, you know, I, I'm sure that's true uh, to some extent. Now, to what extent exactly? It's hard to know because yeah, I don't know what either. we have are like scattered video clips and testimonies and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but- I, I, from a centrist point of view, I would 100% agree that that ha- has happened. Uh, to the degree of which is accurate, I have no idea. Yeah. But has that happened? I would say absolutely. So there's this imbalance of power. If we yeah. just look at Israel and Palestine, but then we zoom out, I think, first of all, I just believe Israel as a whole, the population of Israel is, is still suffering from at least decades, if not hundreds of years of trauma that has not been healed or addressed. Sure. And I see that trauma pouring out now <laughs> into Gaza specifically, uh, under the under the name of defense, and that's not entirely a false argument in the sense that yeah. us absolutely sends thousands of rockets into Israel. You know, my what I seem to piece together is that those rockets are not very sophisticated. They're not very powerful. They're not very accurate. Um, you know, I, I, you know, welcome your your commentary there. Um, so there's anyway. So this imbalance of power to me is probably part of the reason. I lean towards genocide and yeah. away from the word war. And I've been even using the word conflict, but then all of a sudden conflict just sounds like that's it's, like two kids duking it out in the alley. Yeah, it's too so small. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. enough, you know, so I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
Um, well, we could, this is the th great thing with genocide or anything, right? We can look at, you can just be like, okay, well, is it like, is my, like, is genocide occurring? So by the UN definition, absolutely. I think by the colloquial definition, meaning like an intentional destruction of an entire group of people, genocide remains impossible uh, to, to demonstrate. A, uh, but, oh, but first, yeah, let's like look at war, for example, right? So uh, what I always jokingly, semi-jokingly refer to as the Wokesionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, they are just the, the least um, semantically conservative uh, popular dictionary. They've, they rapidly they rapidly update, I think, much faster than every other dictionary in common use. Like, oh, okay, this is how it's being used now, even if it's like been using that way for two years or four years or something like that. I think they're a little ADHD personally, so... Um, I, I, I think it's uh, sort of funny, but like war is defined by Miriam Webster as the state of usually open and declared armed hostile conflict between states or nations. Now, open and declared armed hostile conflict. Palestine's doing that. Israel's doing that. States or nations. <laughs> you get into a gray area because is Palestine a state? Is Palestine a nation at all? Right. That's where you go. I don't know. I mean, in Gaza, this is a great thing. In West Bank, it's funny. I If we were talking about the West Bank, I would, and this is why you have to, if you're saying Palestine, well, actually, if you're saying Palestine, we got to get into that too. It's extremely confusing already. Um, the West Bank, I think, is a completely different situation than Gaza. The problem with Gaza not being very much like the West Bank at all is that it's sort of, the sad thing it's been, it's kind of like, I think it proves a lot of Israel's claims, even though if I, I have the suspicion that they sort of created a scenario where it would uh, validate their claims, that it's like, well, if we did, if we treated the West Bank like we treated Gaza, where we just got out and let them be whatever. It's your business. You you stay over there, but you were self-governing. And then this is what happens. So they're like, well, we can't do that in West Bank then because look what happened here. Like, right. why would we keep doing the same thing and expecting different results? That's the screenwriter's definition of, of um, insanity. But the number two definition of war is a state of hostility, conflict, or antagonism, or a struggle or competition between opposing forces or to a particular end. So as long as there's any force involved, you know what I mean? If you're basically, if you're a guy in a wheelchair, because I, I'm just thinking of this in my old neighborhood in LA, like I once saw this big lady fighting a dude in a wheelchair, like punching each other and stuff. And they, and I was like, oh, like, well, they both have force. I, at that point, I don't even know who to intervene with because it is a man fighting a woman. So that puts you in a place, but then it's a really big woman fighting a dude in a wheelchair. So I'm like, Ugh. I mean, it's one of those things where I was like, I don't know who to grab. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, ah, uh, think about it, like in all the intersectional ways, right? You're like, I don't know, the the power dynamic is so complex here. Um, so yes, I would absolutely say it's a it's a it's an unequal. Uh, um, but 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 by both those definitions, this falls into war because those definitions don't remotely get into the sort of, uh, uh, you know, and that's a hard line to draw. Like, oh, at what point sure. does it become? such an imbalance of power that it's no longer a war. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think as long as people are still fighting, then it's a fight. So if you're shooting any rocket, if you have the ability to shoot any rockets or shoot anybody with with a gun, then you then you have force. Actually, listen, if you could throw a rock, I mean, you're still kind of in the game. But you do have to ask it, right? It's the same thing. It's like, oh, well, we, we got into a fist fight. You're like, oh, gosh, God, what a hard weekend. Why'd you get into a fist fight? Well, this kid on the playground, be like, wait a second. You're 34 years old. What do you mean some kid on the playground? How old was this kid? Like, at what point was that a fist fight? At what point was that you just, like, going over and punching a little kid in the head? So yeah. that's the – I understand that in terms of, like, like is this is this a conflict of that sort? I think the problem is with Palestine, you have 
at least in Gaza, you have like the ruling class, which is essentially represents the state. So you have Palestine as a state, the same way as if our military declared war somewhere else, the United States would be at war with those people. So the Palestine Palestinians have been like, we we want to fight you. Like yeah. we want we 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 have declared war and our whole goal is to to have war against you. So so I think that's um yeah. <laughs> I think I'm about to attempt to oversimplify this probably to the point of being insulting. Um, but so coming back to genocide, right? And, yeah. and so maybe just that we could ask a, a simpler question in this moment of, of who has the intention to destroy the other population? Uh, is that explicit? Um, we know yeah. we know Hamas has declared that. They, int they intend to, to wipe out Jews. There's various ways that shows up and, you know, chants from the river to the sea. Um, yeah. And, and the Hadith where they say they'll do it to kill all. Wait, I wonder, I'm going to read it. It's just so funny. Uh, it's, it's disgusting. But OK, so it says uh, Hamas aspires to implement Allah's promise. This is in their essentially their it's in their charter, Hamas's charter, which is the ruling party of Palestine. So consider this like a, a, a version of the Constitution of the United States of America. The prophet, prayer and peace be upon him, said, the hour of judgment, the day or hour of judgment will not come until Muslims will fight the Jews and kill them, until the Jews hide behind rocks and trees, which will cry, O Muslim, O Abdallah, slave of Allah, there is a Jew behind me. Come on and kill him. So the rocks and the trees will be helping in this intention. I just want to say, I, th I think people don't talk about that enough. I was like, hold on a second. We need to know what we're talking about here. This is like Lord of the Rings, Ents. And uh, and hobbits type of stuff, right? And then check this out. I just want to apply this to the one tree so no one condemns this tree improperly. This will not apply to the Garkad tree, which is a Jewish tree. So I didn't want anyone to think that there would be no trees or rocks left on the Jews' sides, according to Pal like the Palestinian ruling authority. So at oh. least one, one tree will not yet yell out, hey, there's a Jew behind me. That tree will be like, hey, Jew. Stay behind me. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I had not heard that. Um, it's amazing. So I think some of the things, again, my information, oh, hello, is a little more anecdotal. Um, talking to people who've been working there for 25 years. Yeah. You know, at Hamas, you know, there was an election, I want to say somewhere around 15 years ago. Um, a long time, yeah. Where it's been a long time, right? I mean, in terms of politics, that's an eternity. Yeah. And where Hamas won this election, but then wasn't really given any real power or or wasn't allowed to rule in any meaningful way. Um, so I'm a little I'm a little fuzzy and I just need to do some more homework. I don't know if we need to unpack it here about just well, what what happened between then and now. But one thing we know has happened is, as you said, Israel withdrew from Gaza. But then blockaded it, and it's not just Israel. Egypt blockading uh, Gaza yeah. on the south southern border. Um, the, I don't, I'm probably yeah. I'm sure the U.S. Is being involved in the sea blockade, and so you've got this. It seems totally understandable to me that if I I, I might be giving Hamas too much credit, but I I believe, and based on what I've heard, that there whatever that party was when it was elected more than a decade ago. Um, you know, I think was what we might consider more of a democratic party, more, uh, you know, in service of the people 
and and what we see now is the result of it being basically starved um and i mean again anecdotally just heard hearing recently that like well there was a lot of funding act funding pouring into hamas from other nations yeah and it all got channeled into you know military infrastructure and tunnels and you know so it's so there's yeah this yeah huge question i'm holding about well, what is the relationship even between Hamas and the Palestinian people? And you've also got the Palestinian Authority based out of Ramallah in the in the yes. West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the story I've heard about why why Palestine isn't a nation is, um, you know, I mean, a few things have happened over time, right? Like Israel has clearly encroached in, even beyond the green line that was drawn in 1948 or 1947, and and continues to with the settlements, you know, particularly in the West Bank. Yeah. Um, but the main thing I heard was that I've heard, you know, we've actually interviewed many leaders, including the next mayor of Bethlehem. Yeah. Say, look, every one of them is like, we want peace. We want a two state solution. Um, but one of the things that, that, that I've heard is that they want the capital, they want Jerusalem back basically. Mm. So, so much of this seems to be about the fight for Jerusalem. Yeah. That yeah. wouldn't be back. The funny thing is that wouldn't be back, right? I mean, it literally is Jerusalem. So it's not, that wouldn't be Palestinian. That's the fascinating thing, right? So like we, this is why we've talked about this. This is intract. I mean, people are like, oh my gosh, they try to solve it, think they can solve it. And it's intractable. Just, I just want to loop that back to our thing. Can Palestine be free? And I was like, as you talk, the more you talk about it, you're like, I don't think so, man. I mean, it's it's cool to chant. I was like, I don't know. I mean, because that's the fascinating thing, right? To say Jeru they want Jerusalem back. I was like, who? Wait, who wants Jerusalem back? I'm mean, Jerusalem. Be thanks or no thanks to this being a semi-Christian nation. We Christmas is coming up, right? We're about to celebrate the the birth of a God made incarnate. Hail incarnate deity, born. Right, the Christmas carols come up. Um, he was that born happened. in what we now. Call yeah. the West Bank, by the way. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. So then you're like, wait a second. How did they? How did? Who are they? And how did they end up with it? You're like, that's real confusing. And then how would they get it back? Because it wasn't theirs first. Like who? This is the crazy thing, right? So like, how would they get Jerusalem back? You're like, well, what do you mean? Like Palestine didn't exist until modern Israel existed. Like there was no Palestine, meaning like a Palestinian state. They were both formed at the exact same moment. So there was kind of like warring twins. This to me is like, this is Old Testament, right? This is like, this is uh, Jacob and Esau fighting, I guess, essentially. And of course, I'm sure some scholars would be like, it is exactly that. These are the descendants of blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But but it seems also that most of the descendants are Arab. A lot of people are fighting. A lot of people would be like Arab, Arab Palestine is kind of how a lot of people refer to it. And if it's Arab, then you have to argue whether when those people came in at all. So then it certainly, you can't, you couldn't say it's giving back. That would literally be like, like if the Lakota took over an area now and then they would be like, okay, you've got to give it back to the, the colonizers now. You've got to give it back to the settlers. So that's just like in terms of if I was talking to that mayor of Bethlehem. I lost your audio. You were talking to the mayor of Bethlehem or whatever. That would be my, that would be the question. I'd be like, what did she say then when you said, what do you mean give it back if you're talking about Jerusalem? Like it literally, it's Jeru. It sounds like Jew, Jerusalem, Ju Jerusalem. As far as I know, Jerusalem as I know Jerusalem as like a a Jewish, the center of the Jewish religion, which we know, especially if you're talking from any sort of Muslim context, we know you were later. Like Muhammad didn't come around until whatever, like a 
thousand years after Christ even. And he was an upstart against the Jewish religion. So Jerusalem has been the center of his, of that region for Jewish life. 1500 BC, I think it is. Yeah, like 1500 BC. So then it wasn't yours. So what you're talking about is trying to take back something that was not yours. So then that's that's crazy. That's a crazy thing for that lady to say. But what did she say to that? The the mayor? Yeah. Well, it was a it was a it was a man, uh, Mahar Kanawadi. Oh, sorry. We didn't we didn't dig deeper uh, in yeah. that in that particular interview, but oh, okay. I'm hoping I am hoping I could actually find a way to get him on again. We've been going back and actually trying to reconnect with some of the folks that we interviewed a year ago. Oh my gosh, it must be very different. I'm assuming it's different now. It sounds worse in the West Bank, by the way. And and the same thing is all the conversation we're going to have today. I just want to say this out loud. When you talk to people about Israel Palestine. I think discussing the the West Bank and Gaza are two phenomenally different situations. And like, I agree with like, that. Yeah, right occup now. occupation you can't apply to Gaza. I don't think at all. Genocide you can't apply. Uh, but occupation you can apply. You can even apply. I think you can't apply apartheid to Gaza. You can apply apartheid to West Bank. You can apply colonization. You could even start getting to potentially colonization sort of thing. Although it's really just colonization has nothing to do with this whole thing, just because like this is a continually colonized region. So it's weird to complain. Like it seems fake because there's too many Muslims there. You know what I'm saying? And if you became Muslim because you were colonized, then you obviously don't care about colonization. You like it. So just roll over and accept the colonization that you love. That's if you're a Muslim, you already admitted that you accepted the colonization of Muslims in that area and you became Muslim. So you like being colonized essentially so just go ahead and keep like being calling it like i don't know but then it gets into areas of consent right you're like just because i promised to have sex with you once doesn't mean i have sex with you every time kind of thing you know so i know i'm pushing past there but like i, I do want to say that out loud like i think a lot of and this is part of the problem and i say this too because i think it's a lot of problem people talking about palestine general west bank gaza and they're all they're all very different scenarios but i think they co they co-inform one another you know what i mean yeah, yeah, I I think that's true. I mean, it may, maybe it would have been wise to separate these episodes into Gaza. Yeah, but it, but it is it is all Palestine. So it's I mean, everything is, you say about the West Bank is. is totally legit. And, every, and everybody, I I talked to in the West Bank, including quite recently, feels solidarity with Gaza. Yeah, so there's yeah. There, there's a even if there's not a quote unquote nation, there's a there's a sense of let's say nationality between Unity them or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. And you're getting at something, you know, we got to the point of literally drawing this out uh, in a timeline, which maybe we should make the Moreau board public. <laughs> I think it was quite useful because I, it is easy to get stuck in the last 75 year sort of timeline of this. <clears throat> yeah. That's one thing we, we thought was really useful. Like anything, it's like, what lens are you putting this through? And so yeah. if you're just looking at a 75 year lens, this story looks a, a very specific way if if you stretch out that lens a few more, yeah. hundred more years it's another way if you stretch it out a couple thousand years it's another way one of the things i thought was fascinating so we mostly um most of my time was in the west bank yeah then we we we, we drove back through israel because we went through the northern crossing back to amman jordan to fly back Mm. Um, and so I saw some decent amount of Israel, but we spent we spent a day in Jerusalem. And one of the things I thought was so fascinating was the old city, which mm. is broken into these four quarters. So you've got yeah. Christian, Jewish, Islamic, and the Armenian quarter. So yeah. you've got in Jerusalem, I think to your point, you've got these, you know, 
three major religions and four four ethnic groups like represented living together yeah in harmony maybe maybe not we also yeah. went to Haifa in the northwest uh, part of Israel and that the story I heard there is that that's that's kind of still an example of what people I talked to say was happening pre-World War II in the Ottoman Empire where mm. Jews and Muslims were living together in some relative harmony um, that makes sense that's why I think I think a one-state solution is really um more tenable than a two-state solution so then as long as muslims are ruling everything then everyone can kind of get along so then either all muslims or all jews should rule everything if that was a good time because i've heard the same thing anecdotally that they're like the, the conflicts in the region were minimal but that's because they were fully and 100 colonized by the ottoman empire and they submitted to that colonial rule so i was like that seems to work i mean in terms of history that worked just letting the colonizer colonize you really seemed to work. And anecd it sounds like anecdotally as well. They they are super fan. They they are literal on the ground fans of yes. When the Ottoman Empire colonized us, when Muslims ruled us, everything was at peace. And that is, I, I think that plays out not in in the modern sense, but in the ancient sense. Uh, the Ottoman Empire didn't necessarily try to kill all the Jews there. That they, they were a uh, they taxed. Muslims and non-Muslims differently. So there was a capitalist uh, desire mm. to keep people from converting because if they converted, they wouldn't owe the same taxes. So mm. you want people in your region who aren't Muslims because you get more money out of them. Um, and also uh, there's enough in like, listen, uh, Islam is a very like militaristic religion. It was literally founded by a, by a military leader. So it's militaristic, uh, makes sense. Uh, and it's logical. It would be almost, I often look at Islam that like if, if, like King David uh, created the that was like the the figure the true figurehead of uh, old of like Judaism or something right because he was like a military leader so it's like a, it's a militaristic thing so then it is aggressive it's more aggressive in terms of socio culturally than a lot of uh, other sort of establishments of colonial uh, might however there's a ton of, it's based on you know it's post post Christianity so the Muslim quarter for example would be the either the Muslim or the Armenians would be the latest arrivals to that quadrant of four people, right? Obviously the Christians are later than the Jews. The Jewish quarter is, is going to be the oldest. Those are the people with the, who, like, who would you do the, we've talked about this, the land acknowledgement. If you did the land acknowledgement, uh, Canaanites, as far as we can tell, and Philistines, at least according to like Encyclopedia Britannica and historical sources, kind of aren't a people group anymore. We don't know genetically how that plays into who's in that region now. A lot of contentions with people who've come to that region now are actually Arabs who come from other areas. So they're, the, the, as far as we know, like the Jewish people as a unit have the have the have the land rights claim to this area. If land rights are such a thing, I don't necessarily believe they are, as we know. But 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 they have but they have that or whatever. Um, my gosh, is this this situation is hilariously complicated, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's not it's it's not that complicated, but it's still complicated enough that like. This is fascinating, right? We we just don't, and this is cool though. We don't hear this is another thing you can stop if you're talking to people about this and go, hey, how amazing is this? We have such a strong decolonization narrative in our culture, but in their culture, they long for the colonial days. They long for the days they were colonized by the Ottoman Empire, who came from outside and then just took this whole area over and then they ruled over it. The Romans ruled over this area. Uh we, we looked on that timeline, right? And I just want, I'm going to use my fingers for whenever I put these videos up. So the timeline yeah. of Palestine that we know from like archaeological record is as wide as our screen, say, right? 
It's like that big. And what we're talking about was just Israel and Palestine as like modern nations in the sort of like 47 and on sort of thing is like the entire conflict from then to now is as big as like my finger is slightly spread enough to like hold like a single thick slice of cheese. So it's very weird. And I think anyone who pretends like this just really started then is lying to you. That's another good thing. If anyone says, oh, well, this really problem already started in 1947. Well, this problem really started in 67 when the brum, 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 brum. Yeah, they're lying to you. This is this is a at least a 3,000 year old conflict to some to some degree. I would say it was hard, it was obviously sharpened in certain areas or whatever. And this region has been under colonial control for at least we know from the record from like the um that you could say that uh, when King David who knows the Philistines can make the claim that in 1000 BC when Israel conquered the land that that was a colonial imposition. I think that's completely you know it's a it's we're putting a modern lens on an ancient concept but the persian empire colonized it for 400 years the persian roman wars meant back and forth for another 500 years multiple kingdoms for 400 years the crusaders uh like basically ran it for uh, 100 years which i never knew until i did this research i thought that was fascinating i never knew the crusaders like had that much of a victory um then muslim control either ottoman or multiple other empires from uh, what is it? 1187 AD till about 1920 AD. British control was like barely there, which I think is hilarious. It's another thing. We I've seen this online. A lot of people make the argument that somehow the UK is to blame or like, I, I think that's based on a super myopic present day, like England equals bad, white people equals bad, European equals bad, which is just like, it doesn't have anything to do with anything in this region, really. Well, that's like, something well, that's yeah. coming up cool. to me right now is is the centering of the British intervention as like the whole story. Which it's like, a like it's oh. barely there, yeah. Well, and any, you know, reasonably astute, you know, woke scholar would tell you that centering is bad. Like centering white <laughs> people is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, when you look at this timeline, it's like, that's all we talk about is is centering and and it was bad in my opinion <laughs> like it was <laughs> yeah. arbitrary and kind of ridiculous yeah but my god it's not the whole story yeah. no and, and that's just normal for this era this is the crazy thing is can palestine be free if you look at its history i would say no it absolutely so that's why i just say in general to the answer that question it can't be free so palestine might be free what are you again i don't and i don't i haven't talked to enough people who are out chanting palestine must be free what are you talking about? Like, so you're asking for something that's pretty much never existed in the way that you're talking about it throughout all of human history. But you're saying now it will take place. And you're like, well, how? Because they're not free now. Even when Israel left, they still weren't free. If Israel was wiped off the face of the map, I, I can tell you they're probably not going to be free, even just in the way that you mean. Because if we look at the history, that's thousands and thousands of years of not being free under multiple. And so like, then I, I honestly, let's say if, if trauma is passed down or if things are passed down from generation to generation, then generationally, I don't even think the people who live in that region, Israel amongst them, you have to include, I don't even know that they know how to be free. I, I don't, I don't know if they would function well under it. That's like literally if you had tigers in cages for generations and then you brought them into the wild, they would die. They would be, they would be mauled and killed and they would just be food very quickly. But this is why when when animals, you know what I'm saying? And I think and, human and, beings are the same. If you put an urban, uh, uh, me, if you put me in the middle of the flipping wilderness, I lasted about 40 days. I wouldn't last much longer than that. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not acculturated. Yeah. I, you know, so. there's something to that. Like I'm talking to my, my, my friend who, who brought me there has been working there for 25 years and, and with tons of compassion, we're talking about, you know, a, how do we do any, you know, kind of healing and real trauma work. You've got people yeah. who, you know, I mean, the West bank is shut down for, for weeks now, almost two months. Yeah. No, no work. I mean, a lot of it's based on tourism. Obviously there's no tourism happening. Yeah. Um, Israel is still there d- doing what they have been doing, you know, for decades. And in terms of uh, in- encroaching and building settlements and, and it's getting, it sounds like it's getting worse in terms of it, like, it there, there are Jewish militias like seeking to take advantage of this time and, and yeah. raising yeah. neighborhoods and kicking people out of their home. Like it's, it's, yeah. I, I fully, again, I'm not like I stand with Israel or I stand with Palestine person, but I, I, I think that's on a, anyone who's claiming that, that, that sort of stuff isn't going on, that, that Israelis or Jewish people aren't victimizing people, especially specifically in the West Bank, um, and and taking advantage of the situation to do so now uh, would be lying to you. And and but then beyond that, um, what, beyond what I was just saying was is talking about job creation. Yeah. And the unfortunate reality, I think, more or less matches what you were just describing, which is they're not prepared for sort of the to enter the the world economy as it is and no. they're not necessarily skilled up in 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 jobs that are the the rest of the world is going to pay for and find meaningful so it's it's um it's a real challenge uh, yeah know, like what does that even mean and how do they you know function and and that's just purely through an economic lens obviously they're they're human beings that we we need to be compassionate you know for all human beings one thing you touched on which I want to address in some light, some short way, I guess, um, brief way. Yeah, is the what we what we I think in these dialogues have come to refer to as sort of the woke movements, um, totally latching on to the point of being pro Palestine. Mm-hmm. It's really weird for me, as I mentioned, being sort of in recovery from the the I I argue now oversimplified woke um, viewpoint on a lot of issues. And that's part of the attraction, I think, is just sure. Yes, look, oh, the, ego, the ego is attracted to any simplification because, my God, all of this shit is too complex, and 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 it is. It's really emotionally devastating, yeah. you know. And it's just like I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to feel all this shit, you know. There's a simpler answer somewhere. I'm not saying it's all wrong either, like. But one of the weird parts of my journey in this is, you know, being in this, being in the West Bank, meeting people, doing some work there, walking the land, feeling it. As I mentioned, I'm not afraid to say developing a pro-Palestinian bias in that way. Sure. Um, at the same time, being kind of astonished at at how let, let's just we can just we need a term for it. So, like, let's just keep calling it the woke movement has so latched on to that. I, yeah. I think looking through the rather myopic 75 year lens of who's the underdog here, and so. I have a lot of cognitive dissonance because on the one hand, I'm like, fuck yeah. And I went to a march, you know, a week after the, yeah. the, the war started, the conflict started. And, you know, so there's that part of me that's like, yeah, hell yeah. Like, finally, somebody's like, you know, um, paying attention. And on the other hand, kind of uh, questioning, and maybe this is my own ego being like, hey, wait a minute, you know, I I'm the one who's been there and I'm, I, I want to, I'm yeah. about how, what I know or whatever, or frankly, I've been helping, I'm guilt, helpful <laughs> or, or being frankly, some guilt that I've been sitting on all this footage for a year or whatever. Oh yeah. Same time feeling like, 
whoa 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 like let's can we pump the brakes here a little bit because i'm not really convinced that a lot of the people in those marches are doing the kind of discussion or research we're doing i don't know that they actually understand a lot of yeah what, what is happening here to your point when they're out chanting about anti-colonization and it's like well what does that even mean in this which, context yeah which one <laughs> i don't know. even know I, I just don't know and, and yeah. some of it downright I'd like to think it's the absolute minority, but I really don't know. Some of it downright becoming pro-Hamas, anti-Jewish, yes. anti-Semitic. Um, yes. You know, and it's like, well, no, 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 that can't, that's not the answer. Like, that can't, that's not going <laughs> to yeah. oh, That's not what I mean when I say pro-Palestinian. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think, well, and this is the thing that I feel like everyone should and this is, I know, sometimes it's another version of exception, like, oh, having to put a parenthetical before everything you say. And that can kind of, I, I feel like that's a thing we've worked through as a, as a culture for the last couple of years. And I feel like we need to move farther away from it than we are. However, the desire for people to live as the best versions of themselves, this is like the call of love, should exist for all people, regardless of what nation they are. I feel the same way for anybody who's in Hamas. Like, I don't, if someone who is in Hamas, who is like part of the ruling, who's a Palestinian, who's a Palestine, a, a part of the, listen, Hamas is the Palestine's army. So it's it's just a Palestinian, right? So a Palestine Armed Forces member, uh, if they get shot in the head while they're fighting someone, I'm not super sad about it just because I was like, okay, well, that's, you live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. However, my distinct and specific desire is even for for uh, whatever we've heard enough of the anecdotes the, i think one of the worst was the guy trigger warning i suppose uh the guy who said it was a first person anecdote related uh, a hamas person who had invaded on october 7th was raping a woman and then cut her breast off and thrown it on the ground and people were like playing with it and then he was having sex with her and he shot her in the back of the head and then killed her and then finished having sex with her uh, ejaculated inside a dead body um so like that guy if that guy dies i'm not like super sad about it and i know that's not fully christ-like of me but i'm just like Ugh. i was like i don't know what else to do like th there's no like in the, the frame of restorative justice there's really no you've absented us from having any restoration here the only healing but my hope is for that person even that man who is like he's terrible i think that person should die however I want him to be redeemed. Like I want him, I want him to die like having wept and recognized his awfulness, or and I would just use the word sin, like the the depth of his sin, having gotten the I want him to have the opportunity to apologize to the woman's family. I want him to get to apologize and to be forgiven by that woman's family. Like I want radical forgiveness everywhere because I want all people, I want all people to be righteous, you know. And, that, and I think this is the thing you're talking about, too, where people are like, just kill them all. Kill all the colonizers. The, the South African thing. Kill the Boer, right? People just sing that because they're like, yes, end it. And I get it. We all fall into that narrative, right? And I think in general, we love underdogs. And then I think even more so in this sort of intersectional, like, oppressor-oppressed lens, it, it tends even stronger to that, where you're just like, but then that's the same problem with Israel, too, where they're just like, let's kill everyone. You know what? We're done. We're done. We're killing all of We're killing everybody. We're, we're just get anywhere you are we're killing if anyone else is there i don't care we're gonna kill you if it doesn't if you hide in the hospital we're bombing the hospital you hide in a school we're bombing the school i mean it makes pragmatic sense but i also think it's morally pretty freaking crazy i so, don't like I, I don't like that at all so that brings us back yeah. to Gaza and back to genocide which is yeah. 
I think part of the argument there is you've got a population of 2 million people last I've heard and granted because I'm so immersed in sort of my own project around these interviews, I'm yeah. not totally keeping up with all the news, but the last I think I heard was about 1.5 million of those people have been displaced. Something yeah. probably worth than 40% of the infrastructure and housing has been destroyed. Yeah. So there's, there's like the direct killing of people, which obviously is happening. And the number absolutely at this point, I or 10 X more or more of, of, of the October 7th um, attack on Israel. Yeah. Um, and and it's weird to even compare those. I don't know. I'm not sure how useful it is to compare those numbers. I mean, I think the you know the, the argument is like, well, well now what now what Israel is doing is is more horrific than what was done on October seventh. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, yeah, like maybe I, I don't know where that argument goes. I'm like, yes, I, I don't hold, know either. Yeah, hold that bias personally, and I'm like, sure that yeah, like yeah. you know, but at the same time, it's like it just feels like that's going to lead us to more, you know, tit for tat back and forth. I mean, this yeah. is the whole problem here. Yeah. But the other reason I think the word genocide is used maybe across the West Bank and Gaza, but right now specifically for Gaza, is this displacement reduces the likelihood of survival for for more than you know a million people. Yeah. And so it's, well, it's the yeah, direct they, killing, yeah. but then there's also just like yeah, who who, yeah. who else is going to die as a result? Well, of in the, in this specific case, that's the tricky thing, right? It it increases their risk of survival it increases their uh likelihood of survival because it gets them out of a war zone where they're way more certain to die but then it puts them in a scenario for long-term survival becomes terrible and that's, then really israel is israel that. is israel is creating the scenario by which <laughs> they would be likely to die in that you know what i mean so it's a weird thing like right. getting them out of it but the no at this point the displacement numbers have exceeded that of the the 1948 the the nabka or whatever um, yeah. which again i don't I'm 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 I see both sides of Nabka getting rid of everyone who could have possibly been or was in leagues with the people who tried to kill you like nationally makes perfect sense. But it also seems a lot like Japanese internments to me where you're like, mm, I think you're going after non-combatants now and making them leave. And I don't who who have and some of whom who have displayed no allegiance to the people who are trying to kill you. So I think that's a shame. I think the Japanese internments are one of the great sh civil rights shames upon our country or whatever. So I would consider the Nabka very similar, where I was like, um, Israel is not a, a hero in this. Palestine is not a hero either. I mean, in terms of... Nakba, by people. the way. Nakba, sorry, sorry. I always flip the B and the K. Um, but yeah, have been uh, displaced. Now that's normal in war. My whole thing is genocide is... The thing is why I can't... It's very hard for me to believe genocide is that it's been brought up since previous to October 7th is that they were jet like that was been the claim and the people making the claim are still making the claim now. And I already don't believe them. I'm already, well, like you're not true. And we looked at this, right. That Gaza's population has increased by 5 million since 1947. So one could say, Oh, they're gathering them together over a, what would that be? An 80 year plan. Like this is better than Hitler. They gathered them together. And then now they're, this is what they've been planning for the whole time. Basically, this is an 80 year plan to get all to increase their population by 5 million and then kill them all. So this is like the, this is, but to me, this feels a little bit like the, okay, well that wasn't a genocide, but it is now, now you can see they're enacting the genocide. So I was like, that's where I'm like, mm, all right, that's dubious, but I can understand the argument previous, the growth rate in Israel, uh, is, uh, less than the growth rate in Gaza in terms of just like uh, people having more children or whatever. And so no genocide in history, as far as I know, has resulted in increased population of the target of genocide. So it seems to contradict the entire 
uh, operation. And uh, the Palestinian population, I think, has it, the five million increase in Gaza anyway, I think is a tr is like a tripling of the population. So throughout a 80 year genocide, the population of the target of the genocide has increased three times. Like that seems I was like, I don't know what you're talking like, why you would bring genocide up unless the claim is, like I said, that now this is the this was the final act of the genocide and everything before now has actually been compilation. That wasn't the argument made previous to now. So then I'm like, you just changed your argument. And so I don't really believe you. But previous to now, it seems to contradict everything that we would think about what a genocide is. Just because every other genocide in history ends up with less people because you're killing them. So that I think we could agree on. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If we're going to talk about genocide, it's about reducing populations. Yeah. Whatever other... Um, characteristics we apply so i don't know this is this is you're i think the first one who's brought that to my attention so i want to learn more about the population increases or decreases or shifts you know i think there may be something about well who there's there's just if there was an increase there's the number of people but then i'm also curious about sort of who it was um yeah who is added to the population yeah yeah so i can't speak to that but one thing i i'm curious about it, that's come up in a lot of the, my interviews with palestinians is yeah and I'm quite certain, and I actually want to interview more people in Israel as well. Um, and but I'm I'm fairly certain, and I've heard this somewhat on both sides again anecdotally. But it's yeah. really curious to me. Each side seems to say that it's the other side who won't accept the peace or the two state agreements or the yeah. Oslo Accords or you know whatnot. I mean that's very I've so many clips from my interviews of Palestinians in the West Bank saying that. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of them was it was sad actually i mean he was talking about how excited he, he was much younger he was a kid when the oslo accords happened and, and he was like we were celebrating and all this stuff and then a week later it all fell apart yeah. you know i don't i can't seem to find any reasonable explanation of like who whose fault it really is that um that these two state solutions that have been proposed multiple times in the last you know 75 years have fallen apart um so I, i'm just holding that curiosity yeah i don't know either I, as far as i can tell it's a lot of both um that you could accuse both sides of sabotaging talk like peace attempts multiple times um and this is why i think a lot of people point back to like the league of nations became the united nations and then one of their honestly pretty early in their in their existence as the in the under the rebrand their attempt was to like divide this region up which had never has basically just been divided and handed over constantly throughout history and the whole region we're even talking about the two pal places that are palestine now were not palestine in that division it was like uh egypt and jordan i think or syria and jordan um own those places like had those places so it wasn't even really palestine so this is fast like the the, the the biggest difficulty here is is i think we have a cool corollary a little bit in our own culture is you're like, well, okay, what would you do in like North Dakota, right? If like all native peoples were like, we want this area back. And then like all the like Euro settlers who've been here now for generations upon generations upon generations wanted like a couple little parts in there. And then who even starts it? I don't know, but there are skirmishes and some states outside of Wait, where did I pick North Dakota? Some states outside of North Dakota come in and try to attack and like support the the white people. Let's just let's make it white, white and indigenous, right? So the indigenous people get to take over 
all of North Dakota because it, it was theirs originally, right? Because that's what happens this sort of area. They're like, well, Israel has the best claim to the land. Jewish people and Israel really, even as a nation, has been there longer than anybody. So they get it um, or they got the majority of it. But then they were, I don't think they were, the way that Israel pretends that it happened, which really you can then blame Palestine for everything, was the, the United Nations divided it up, right? And gave uh, Israel like 57% or something. And previously, they didn't really have that much control of it. So they were kind of given a pretty substantial control. And it was the majority. And then, quote unquote, Palestine, who is who? I don't flip it, no. They didn't define him at the time. I still don't even know who a Palestinian really is. Because an Arab, like indigenous, like less indigenous than Jewish people, but like having been to the, in that land for a long time, Arab people also live in Israel. So they're Israelis too. And then Muslims are Israelis, although less so. I think it's largely a religious distinction, really, more than it is an ethnic one, as near as I can tell, because they're all of of the region. So I think Israel was messing with the, the people who weren't Israel at that time more than they say they were, because then multiple nations attacked Israel after that. And like, what was it? Like one year later, less than one year later. And then Israel defended themselves and won. And that's when they took control of areas that are now Palestine from Syria, um, uh, Jordan, Egypt, anybody else who would have a claim. So they got attacked and won. And really from then on, they kind of have conquerors rights as far as I can understand for that culture, not trying to colonize it with my own Western thinking. So then they have they have conquerors' rights to do whatever they want to anyone, like just like the Ottoman Empire did. And if people wanted peace, like during the Ottoman Empire, they should have just submitted and said, yes, Israel, rule us. I don't think Israel fully wanted that either. So I think they shirked their duties. They should have just gone. They should have obliterated every ruling, everyone in the region and just taken it over and then governed it responsibly, maybe like the Ottoman Empire did. They should have. There should, they should have one stated solution at then. I, I think mean, that seemed to work for what? 400 years or something yeah at least for, and really off and on for like thousands i mean that's pretty much how the region runs so now did israel do that because they're so loving and kind and they really wanted people to have their to have their own right of self-determination that's probably what they would say i'm at least skeptical of that i'm not saying that isn't the case so as near as i can tell in the recent the recent sort of style i would put the blame heavier on muslim nations um however if you look at Israel in the, on the big map, when you zoom out and they're surrounded by Muslim nations, it's not like the, anyone's trying to kill the Jews because they could have killed the Jews quite a long time ago. Although they did try in the 60s to pretty much kill them and they lost. You just They lost the fight, in which case, all right, tough luck, you lose. Like losers, whatever, losers walk, right? Uh, so since then, I think ultimately my understanding of this now is Israel has been like a, has been crummy colonizers because they haven't fully committed to it they should just do it i'm not anti-colonial neither is are the people of palestine that would be unless they're finally like no now we're done with it i don't i don't believe it um i just don't i don't i i, I consider it i'd have to be convinced of it but they've done a crummy job of being colonizers and that they're they're sucky rulers and they treat some they treat quite a few people like trash based on even their apprehensions of ethnic, or I wouldn't even say ethnic, or somebody maybe religious first and foremost, but second, like nationalist um, adherence. Like I think that's, there's certainly they, some what I sometimes call generational amnesia, but that's yeah, that's my best explanation of why Palestinians identify with that identity or that nationality. Because, yeah, but like it doesn't when you actually stretch out the timeline to your to the point you've made a few times, it doesn't actually 
make a lot of sense as an outsider. Like, what do you mean? Um, yeah. I talk to Palestinians. There's absolutely a sense of identity there. It's unquestionable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But they, this is the fun thing. This is the thing. This is why I don't like anecdote as much. And But this is why I need people like you in my life to remind you. And Archie did before I did this episode. She was like, remember, you're talking about people here. I was like, yeah, you're right. Thank you. I need the, I need those people in my life. Um, but people can be wrong about themselves and their own culture. I mean, just like saying, like, I am a Palestinian. You'd be like, well, actually, you're not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we could literally be like, like, because if you look over there in Israel, there's a person who, if we did your, and again, this is the great thing with genetic typing. We did your genetic typing. You guys are literally, you guys be completely compatible. Maybe you're literally related. Maybe your cousin's over there and he's an Israeli. How is he different than you? Because he it pledges allegiance to a flag. So then really what we're talking about is kind of what we already have in our country. And you sent me an article this morning, like uh, this like virulent, you know, virulently partisan, you know, Democrat or whatever. And I was like, that's all this, that's kind of really all this is. This is like a nationalistic, this is like an, a choosing to identify as blank situation. And so an Arab person of this region is over there in Israel being like, I love you, Israel. And an Arab person who's over in the West Bank is like, no, I'm a Palestinian. This person's like, I'm an Israeli. They literally might be, they could be twins. They could be literal straight up twins, in which case you're like, wait a second, what are we arguing about? But then this gets you, this is why it's so complicated, because this really makes everyone have to question, what does identity mean? What is a nation? What is a nationality? How important are these things? How important are tribal affiliations? And then this is the creepy thing to me. I don't like it when any a tribal affiliation supersedes the family structure. So then I don't really like this Israeli like national identity. I think the Jewish one is more fundamental. And then I don't really like this like Palestinian. I am a Palestinian. You're like, mm, you both are. You're both as, as, as Israeli or Palestinian, really, until you're like, oh, no, but it means all these things. And I was like, maybe you're correct, but I'm not going to assume just because you're in it, you're right. I have myopia about the United States of America, and I'm willing to be corrected about my apprehensions about what it means to be an American, you know, and like, but I think we have this weird, uh, through this intersectional thing too, on the outside, people who are afraid of colonialism are like, oh, uh, well, I don't, yeah, no, if you tell me how that's it, that is, that's how it is. And you're like, well, but wait a second, you're already putting your, your colonial lens on it. Let's just like, well, let's figure it out. But this is why we have to talk. You got to figure it out. Like, what is a Palestinian? What does a Palestinian mean? And how does it differ from Israeli? Or maybe it doesn't. And this is my hope. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we can realize you're actually not different. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm glad you put it that way because one of my a good friend is Moroccan, Canadian, and she's Muslim, a peacemaker. And, you know, she is repeatedly <laughs> says what it was like to grow up in Morocco. Yeah learning that muslims and and jews were cousins you literally just said that and yeah. that's that's what it was to somebody so much closer than this closer yeah. to this than yeah. i ever will be um albeit not still not exactly in the in the in the in the thick of this exact region but um i i love that you framed that as hope i hold that as well yeah um, we have to this maybe yeah, I, mean, I don't know. We're probably in a more of a coming in for a landing um, place here, but it this could be, maybe be a teaser. I, I, I mean, this could be a, a hundred part episode. Obviously, <laughs> who, knows, who knows if we're going to do another one? But um, or maybe we'll revisit it in a in a in a few months or something. I don't know. It's it's certainly there's a a lot here. Um, anyway, what I wanted to get at was 
something about Zionism, which is obviously an enormous topic and related to this, because that's yes. an idea. And that relates to what you just said about Israel as a state versus or somehow in congruence with, with um, Judaism. Yeah. And I, again, anecdotally, is just piece, pieces I pick up here and there. Um, and I wouldn't, I think I asked you this, but we've had such a flood of texts, I admit I haven't actually even read everything. But I remember somebody referencing the Bible to mm. suggest that, you know, I, I, the way, I think what I heard was that God's um, de decree, I guess, for, for the Jews was that they weren't meant to have their own land until until Jesus returned or until God came. So this reveals some of my ignorance about, you know, the Bible to begin with. But yeah. It, it, are you, can you re reflect on that at all from your- Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing I was like, you know, a lot of, this is another just argument I don't like, so I got to throw it out there and I'd like people to stop saying it. Is people just all say, and I've seen this literally as a, as a meme or even like an infographic frequently shared, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Uh, I disagree with that. Um, I think ultimately we're talking about two different Zionistic groups here. Um, as you, as you know, anecdotally, right. That they want, like folks want Jerusalem. Um, that's a, that's just Muslim Zionism. So it's Zionist versus Zionist here. Let's not pretend that Palestine isn't also Zionist. Um, they have the same Holy scriptures. Uh, the Injil is what they refer to the, the sort of scriptures prior to Muhammad's revelations. Um, I contend in that we, I grew up in a uh, Christian context, meaning I went to, I've gone to church like throughout most of my life. And when I was, I would say in the church, there is a sharp uh, generational difference between like the boomers, uh, Gen X is kind of somewhere in the middle, but by millennials, the millennial and um, boomer difference on Israel is super different. Boomers are like support Israel no matter what, because there's like scripture verses, basically like if you stand against God's people, you're in trouble. Um, I think that's true about God's people, which is Jews all, not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel is he or she who wrestles with God. Uh, Israel in the modern sense is mostly a uh, atheistic nation. So claiming that <laughs> the promises of a God you don't believe in, <laughs> that doesn't even make any sense. Um Obviously, their claim to the region in terms of what God promised, God, this is the Old Testament is like a ton of uh, God freeing a people from slavery and then helping them conquer. Let's not, he didn't just deliver them to the promised land. Uh, he'd refine them as a people and killed a bunch of them and let a bunch of them get killed and then killed a whole bunch of people on the way there. But he helped basically a former slave people. It's a pretty great underdog oppressed narrative. Uh, conquer their way just completely beyond reason. Like they... A slave people shouldn't, A, made them be fit or whatever. But it literally is like, imagine this in America. That's almost like if God took like black folks in the South and was like trotted them around, giving them no land. But meanwhile, they managed to conquer seven or eight states. They conquered the entire American South. You're like, how did they do that? You're like, I don't know. The divine intervention of some sort is involved here. Or they were just so desperate that they had to win. So that's what Israel did. They conquered their way all the way to basically this whole area on the coast. And near the river, the river's huge. You're in a desert, folks. If you head like super west away from that river, it gets bleak, it gets real hard to survive. We've all seen the footage, right? People running away. You're like, that just looks like sand. The river's huge because things can grow near running water. And then the ocean's there so you could trade. So this is just like, this is a, this is a powerful 
piece of real estate pragmatically. And it was delivered to the people of Israel. They plant the temple, the sort of tabernacle they used to carry around where God's presence came, used to move with them throughout the desert as they conquered all these other peoples inexplicably. But then they came to Jerusalem and like didn't have to keep conquering. So in some ways it was a great ending. It was like, here, we're finally in a place where we can build walls and just be safe. We don't have to keep going out and hurting people. But people kept trying to kill them, and they got taken out of that region many different times. But God gave them that place, and they put the temple there. And essentially, Israel is wherever the temple is, where the tabernacle is. The hard thing with Zionism, and this is why I just kind of reject Zionism currently, is that there's no temple. There's no temple. It got destroyed by the Romans, whatever it was like 70, 70 something AD, and it doesn't exist anymore. So the Israel's claim to like, are they going to rebuild the temple? If they were doing that, I could kind of, you could make a Zionist thing that like, here's where we're going to take the Lord's promised land and do what we promised the Lord we would do here. But as millennials and myself as a Gen X in between, instead of just going rah, rah, is whatever Israel does is good. I was like, well, but this is not Israel really. Israel is not ancient Israel, meaning the people of God. Israel means like sort of he who wrestles with God. And they're not wrestling with God, really. They're just a nation. You know what I mean? They're just, a, it's, 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 they're not doing it anymore. Just like people over here in the United States are like, we have lost our way. We used to be, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created by equal and endowed by their creator. And once you leave that format, you're not really doing the same thing anymore. That's what I would contend about Zionism from a Christian perspective is Jews aren't the people who are promised Zion. But the problem is they believe that they still are promised this area. And Muslims believe the same thing by their sacred scriptures, that they are promised sort of this area, which is like, that's why, again, this is a phenomenally religious conflict fundamentally and why I don't really think it's going to end and sadly, no one's going to be free. The thing is, like, is Palestine going to be free? Is Israel going to be free? I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it as an option, sadly, for either people. But I do want to hold, like I said, I want to be a hopeful person. And so I don't want to cease to, like, talk with people and advocate and hold space and pray and speak, like, whatever. From where I am, as far away as I am, all I could do is try to, like, figure out what the truth is and speak truth and speak hope to people, you know? Yeah, but it, but it, yeah. yeah with, like, without a temple, it doesn't really make any sense. And I would just contend, I don't. I think the Muslims' claim on that area is malarkey. A, because it came later, and I just don't buy Muhammad Muhammad's claim on that area because he also altered it. So he's like Muhammad was like basically sort of like a glommed on to the Jews, right? Um, and then just kind of like Jews and Christians have had like a weird antagonism because Christians are just Jews who believe the Messiah already came, and then Muslims are pretty much christians and jews who then believe that like muhammad was yet another prophet was like the last prophet kind of like more muslims kind of like mormons y'all in that like joseph smith was like the final prophet of god it was like oh there's one more um and then like muhammad sort of conquered his way into an area and then a lot of people started following him but he established he was like oh the jews know god like muhammad believed essentially that like the jews were the chosen people of god and that they, kind of in Christ, but in general, rejected God. And he's like, I'm picking up. It's almost like he's, Muhammad was almost like, not quite, this is going to offend people. And I hope it does, because that's funny when people get offended by things that are true. Um, it's not terribly dissimilar from some of the like black Hebrew Israelite things, where it's like, Muhammad is like, we're picking up the trail. 
The Jews dropped it. We're picking it, or like we, they fumbled the ball. So we're picking it up. But they, he would have people pray like the multiple times a day. They would pray towards uh, Jerusalem. So he's like, because that's where God came and visited human beings in the temple like once a year. Because that's part of what the temple sort of is for, is for God to come in physical, like palpable form once a year. However, at some point later, he then said, okay, now from now on, you can pray. I think it was like three different places. You can pray to Mecca, you can pray to uh, Jerusalem, uh, or you can pray to my where my mosque is. So he kind of, to me, I was like, he kind of just inserted himself into the tradition. I felt like it was a branding exercise of like drafting onto basically another religion that kind of already existed. Um, and he would say, I think Muslims would suggest, yes, he was doing that, but God told him to do it. Whereas I was like, I don't know if that's true. So then I was just like, it just seems like a, like a crafty maneuver. But again, that's how long, that's how far back fighting over this area goes and how, how deep it is that you're like, God told us, like God told us this is ours. So again, I think, I think in terms of what a Palestinian is, and there are obviously some Christians there, but it is dominantly, it is dominantly Muslim. So I think it, this is really actually mostly a, it is not really a national thing so much as it is, is an actual religious conflict more than anything, ideologically. And that was, what was the time period for Muhammad? Muhammad was what, 500? Was there 15? I can't, he's like 500? What is it, 80? Muhammad started doing stuff? Yeah, we should drop that on the timeline. I don't know that that's there. But that sounds about right, yeah. Um, yeah, five. So, well, he, he, yeah, he died in 632. Uh, I'm just going to do it just to be a jerk. Um, in 632 AD, but you could refer that as CE if you were a, a classic, uh, whatever, uh, secular anthropologist. Um, yeah, so 500, let's say like 400 years post Christ, um, 2000, 2000 years, he lived 2000 years after, um, Israel as a nation in this region where Jerusalem is, was established. But he, I think he is ultimately, he's the, he's the dominant figure here. Oh, this is in, one of the things you said that was interesting too, as a side, you can respond obviously to my extended monologue, but um, answering the Zionism question, but it was interesting. One of the things that you said of like, kind of seeing people kind of respond in a very binary, like they're the, clearly the oppressor, they oppressed, therefore they're the ones who are right here, kind of underdog thinking, intersectional thinking, that sort of thing. It was interesting because Elon Musk came under a ton of fire in the past couple of weeks for essentially agreeing with that premise that that Jewish, now his claim was that Jewish organizations had been fostering this dialectic understanding of like oppressor oppressed and now Jews in America are like suffering from it because they're like, wait a second, we're not oppressors, but they're the ones who introduce education through anti-racism training, intersectionality training, that sort of thing. They've sort of introduced the ideology that has now come home to roost, and then they're really upset about it because now everyone's anti-Israel because they identify Israel on that, within that paradigm. And people thought it was controversial that he agreed with that. And I was just like, well, wait a second, that's, it's as plain as day. Like, I don't even understand how anyone would argue with that. Like, that's, intersectional thought is is very palpably part of the American reaction right now in terms of this. Like, that's why we're using terms like marginal people use marginalized people to describe Palestinians and people you, you know what I mean? We're using all the ter terminology and everything that we're like, that people recently got trainings in, in the past four to six years. 
So I did think it was fascinating that people label that anti-Semitic, which I think for the pro-Israeli people, since I didn't fully mention it, that's the most dubious argument I see on that side, is how basically anything that criticizes Israel or says something completely obvious, like that the things people have been training in the past four to six years, even at Jewish organizations, the ADL is one example of people who like put forward anti-racist learning learnings have that's part of the paradigm by which israel is judged to be an oppressor you know what i mean or closer to power and therefore sort of like a less reliable source or less cheerable you it's harder for it's harder to cheer for them but you cheer for their quote-unquote you know and it makes them the victimizers or the colonizers or the oppressors or whatever so anyway it's interesting to hear you say that so you're going to start losing advertisers because x has been losing advertisers left and right oh goodness well (laughs) There go your advertisers, Andy. We're we're that we're gonna have to go off the air. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's something that really just grates me about this whole thing, and I I just try to go to the a lens of um, I guess trauma awareness and compassion for you know quote unquote Israel, which is a strange thing to say because that's to your point earlier from your wife. It's like well, Israel is a is a is a nation, you know, and and do we say the people of Israel? And I think that's one of the separations that's yeah. probably healthy to make is there are plenty of Israeli people, people living in Israel, who have been protesting this, especially this right wing government, long before this war. I mean, there, it's, yeah. it's you know, it's not like it's. I guess I think something we share is an attempt to step away from monolithic thinking. Um, so there's plenty of people. It, it bothers me when I when when this anti-Semitism is sort of thrown around like this force field yeah. that is impenetrable. And and you know, I, I just yeah. have the only way I can find compassion for that is to relate it to the trauma that rather extraordinary trauma that has been uh that Jewish folks have suffered under for forever. Um and that doesn't excuse the behavior or the or the outcomes, right? Oh. So how do we hold trauma and accountability you know in in both of our hands at the same time yeah it's it's heavy it's a heavy burden well and it's a challenge and i think that people some people even by virtue of stress want to shirk that challenge and other people i think i think there's plenty of people who just get really excited as because i've watched this the past three or four years we've talked about multi-formats or multi uh multiple what's the word sort of revelations is people love any system of ideology that will enable them to go, you're bad, you're gross, you're terrible, I'm good, you're bad. And I see that when people trot out Islamophobia, anti-vax, <laughs> you know, whatever, Islamophobic, you're an Islamophobe, you're a homophobe, you're a transphobe, you're anti-Semitic, you're just like, you hate, so wait, your reaction is, I hate you and everyone like you on some sort of standard of, identity that we can barely even acknowledge fully exists we're still trying to understand what it even means like what like how what where are you at but that's the like i do think it it can come from a sloth in dealing with like what whatever trauma you might have and it seems like i think i mentioned this before but in the in the book the dawn of everything mm. there's this term schismogenesis that, mm. you know, that they've used it's an it's a sort of a new look at anthropology um and this idea that for whatever reason in many human populations and cultures throughout history 
or or even if you shrink that to sort of just a family unit, like like a yeah. two siblings yeah. are gonna sort of de start defining themselves differently. Yeah. Because that's one of the ways we define ourselves. So what you're saying is, well, yeah, if I call if I like find a reasonable way to make make you look bad, hopefully, I think deep down part of the desire there is hopefully that'll make me the good guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's and I think that's the thing that happens simplistically with identifying with either Israel or Palestine can as people get super vehement, they've I think people have discovered a false religion, like us in terms of if I correctly identify who the bad guy is and oppose them, then I'm good. If I correctly identify who's the good guy here and support them, I'm good. Now, that has some grain of truth in it, right? There's a little like, there's a rattle out, like a couple little dry grains of rice in there. That, that's true. That's kind of a true thing, right? To support that which is just is just. And to oppose that which is unjust is also just. Um, but it, when it's just people group based or like, let's not pretend like the complexity of nations and or groups of people who hate each other for good reasons and bad reasons and love each other for good reasons and bad reasons that like to, to simply like identify basically who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And if I good, then I'm good. But you also, the cool thing is, this is the hope part. You, the, the through line is even when you're in, in direct opposition to someone, look at that common thread. There is the desire to be good. We have this adamant desire to be good and not just good. I think, well, this is the problem. It can tend to, I'm desire to be known as good. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's problematic. Let's step back from that a little bit. The desire to be good, to like see things rightly, fight for what's right and embrace what's, what's good and cast out what's bad. Heck yeah. I feel like we all can agree with that. That's really what we're all trying to do. And so then we really should just be able to freely share how we identify what's bad and why it's bad. And this is why I think, disputing like poor arguments is is helpful because you're like okay that's not the way let's let's find the way together it's not that it's not that it's not that i'm gonna throw out six of your arguments four of yours now what can we do so what's now what's good you know what what's the what can we celebrate and what can we identify as truly bad so, so, so I don't know, it's, it's, it's it's terrible but good all at once so i think to that point we we've, we've only cleaned one little corner of the room uh, as as you started out uh yeah. today Maybe I don't know. We or at least we like swept that stuff under to a different part of the room. Um, yes. one, one thing that came out that it was, <laughs> I don't know that I expected is that it sounds like we both um, favor a one-state solution. We both favor some form of all of the folks in this region coming together to actually yeah. create a meaningful government. And then in this moment, one of the reasons I think that's the only way is. We, we we touched on sort of the state of Palestine, Palestine, and the and the kind of stunting of economic growth, and infrastructure, yeah. and even job skills and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, yeah. So coming back to our question is, you know, can Palestine be free? It's like, well, if we waved a magic wand and that happened today, and let's say that let's say that means that Palestine has a clear national identity and the West Bank and Gaza are reunited. Let's even like use that magic wand to go ahead and rebuild all the infrastructure. Yeah there's still this extraordinary imbalance of power and sort of access to the, the world economy and yeah you know, diplomacy it, well, you know, yeah it, internally and externally like you talked about like even if all the bear if they had we were allowed free congress but i feel like the thing you can't just give i was like the reason nobody wants palestinians to leave is because nobody trusts them 
nobody trusts them. I mean, listen, there's plenty of read. I say that both. You can say that both. Like if you're Israeli, there's tons of uh, countries you can't uh, you can't go to. Artie grew up in Dubai, and like you couldn't have an Israel stamp in your passport and get into Dubai. They wouldn't allow you in. Yeah. So Israel, the same thing. I was like, this is you have to look at this. Palestinians. This is why Palestinian Jews are not that different. Meaning, like Jews have suffered in countries around the world, and so like there's something up with Jews where people don't like them now. They would contend it's because they're God's chosen people and everyone hates God and wants to destroy them. I think would be a cogent – their cogent defense is like, well, yeah, people don't like good people. That's totally true. So it could be that. Or something about you sucks, right, as like a culture, as a people group, right? Same thing with Americans. I'm not I'm – not, we're not out of this. The ugly American is a common overseas trope of like you're just gross. You don't speak the language. You don't try to acculturate. You you eat too much. You're fat. You can't fit up the stairwells. You can't ride in the cabs because you're too – you know what I mean? There's like but, – but this isn't just like, oh, anti-blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, people groups are like this. All pe Some families are like this. Don't pretend if you grew up in a neighborhood, you didn't know who the family – like the slobby families were who were like hard to deal with. You're like, oh, the flipping McNamara boys. I can't – I don't, I can't, I can't with them anymore. You know, whatever. It's just, it, this is normal. This is how people, um, but Palestine's similar, right? We're like, e Egypt doesn't want them coming in. They're like, no, y'all, y'all are a mess. A, we don't want your enemies after us, but also we don't really like you either. You guys are, and I've, I've, I've shared with you too, some like regional responses that I had no idea how much people hate Palestine. Like people, how many different countries have kicked Palestinians out? Hundreds of thousands of them have like, as as many as many have been kicked out of the this sort of Gaza and, uh, region have been kicked out of other countries and no one seems to say boo about it which is why I think a lot of activists I just don't really care I don't I don't think a lot of activists are actually involved with what they're talking about they just like being mad about stuff which I get it's fun but people don't like Palestinians like something about them as a culture kind of sucks a little bit just like something about Israeli obviously sucks a little bit because people are always trying to kill you and people are people don't want Palestine and so even if Palestine was free meaning like let's say they took all the border walls down and they were just allowed to freely pass back and forth that might not help them at all it might hurt them because the more they can move out the more people don't like them like people in that region arab in arab states consider palestinians kind of like a mongrel a mongrel people as far as i understand it they're like gypsies and arabs and they're kind of mixed blood Philist again they, they call that area philistia we know philistine is like kind of a derogatory term they're Phil they're like philistine they're like not there, and of course, there's the Shia Sunni, Shia Sunni thing. And so whichever – those guys hate each other. Those Muslims hate each other. They're constantly trying to kill each other. And so like I don't, how how are they going to get free? They've had billions and 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 billions of dollars poured into Gaza over the past number of decades. And that hasn't made it better. So in some ways, that's good. Humanitarian aid doesn't help. Money doesn't help. So that's great. Which is, to me, I'm like, we have to try other things. This is the problem of keep returning to the same thing. Two-state solution. I Here's my proposal. Here, guys, I'm going to fix everything. You ready? I have no authority here. Israel is no longer, we don't call it Israel anymore. Palestine, we don't call it Palestine anymore. That was just a colonial term for the region anyway. So once again, if you call yourself a Palestinian and you're a Muslim, that's twice you've accepted occupation and you've accepted colonialism. So Israel has the best claim. The whole area should be Israel. That's that's the that's the most tenable option because Palestine is a less tenable option. They're both arguable, but it should be Israel or no more Israel, no more Palestine. You return this all, call it Canaan again, because that's what it was like two thousand plus years ago. The Canaanites were basically, a, a, it was like an overarching term for all the people in that area. 
um, and you just call it Canaan again. And we try to, I don't know. And then I don't know from there how you figure it out. But if, if nothing else, we got rid of the branding. I was like, sorry. And then Israel will that therefore only refer to the people who obey Yahweh, which is really kind of most tenably what it always meant anyway. So that's a more fundamental definition. And Palestinians are going to just have to, to stop calling them Palestinians. But they could, they shouldn't call themselves that anyway. That's like, but listen, Indians, some Indians do it here, but it's kind of like indigenous people, Lakota, calling themselves Indians. So yeah, they've but, taken back, by my understanding currently, yeah. American Indian is the, is like the, yeah, they again, like it. Yeah. Again, like, I'm sure not everybody agrees on it, but generally. No, no, no. Everyone, everyone argues about it, I'm sure. But yeah, no, I think, I don't think a two state solution makes any dang sense at all. I don't think it's going to work because it hasn't worked. We've tried, they've been attempting it poorly. I think that's the thing. People are like, they just haven't tried it the right way. And and obviously we are here to, you know, tell everybody the right way. Um, so <laughs> to land the plane, uh, yep. can Palestine be free? I'm going to cheat and slightly adjust the question. So I, actually to that question, I'm going to say uh, no at this point, based on everything we've talked about and the idea of quote unquote Palestine. To yeah. cheat a little, I'm going to adjust the question and say, can Palestinians be free? And I'm going to, through the lens of hope, say absolutely yes, because yes. I hope all people can be free. And yeah, yeah. I fight for. If you adjust to that, I would say they already are. They're already free. And I think that's a thing we all need. I think that's what people, I haven't been in prison, and I'm sure it's much harder. I don't think, again, that's another thing I think is completely hog open air prison. I was like, if you have a tourist industry, you're not an open air prison. Uh, so like that's that was another hogwash thing. Um, but like if I was in prison, I think it would be harder for me to be seen as free. But I've never I'd love I've read enough letters from prison uh, to know that you can be free there, too. So there is uh, Palestinians are free right now. They're as free as they uh, as their minds will allow. Slaves can be free. I'm a slave of Christ. I mean, literally, I'm a, I'm an avowed. I'm just like I said, a slave of Allah. I'm a slave of Yahweh. The Bible is super crystal clear. Every Christian is a slave of God. I was formerly a slave of sin. Now I'm God's slave. Am I also free? Yes, I am. I am free indeed. So I'm a slave and free all at the same time. Those aren't mutually exclusive um, concepts. So yes, can Palestinians be free? They're free right now, and mm. I'm happy. And I and I want them to be. You know. I mean, I don't want them to be free to be doing bad things, but I want them free to be as good and amazing as they are in whatever disgusting circumstance they're in. And I want, man, even so, I want Israel to be free. I don't think Israel is any is especially more free than Palestine, Palestinians are. I think it's this. Yeah. And also, once again, I think we both agree um, the Israel-Palestine, the Palestine-Israel problem, conflict, war, everything, it sucks and I hate it. I think we agree on that. We, we agree on that and and maybe taking a bit more literal approach, but I, I have sadness right now because of, of a friend I met who who's working with this group in Palestine who's been trapped in the West Bank his entire life, has been unable yeah. to leave, was actually in tangible what we call prison, but then metaphorically, yeah. I think of the West Bank as a prison, has been trying for the last few weeks to get a visa to the US. We just found out yesterday it's not going to happen yet again. And mm. so... You know, there's something I hear what you're saying, and part of what is emerging for me as a as a token of freedom is the ability to move freely about through yeah. through, through borders. So I don't think they're free in that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, that's well because this goes back to our thing. Oh well, this is maybe the last question. So like, how wait, how do so? This is the big question I had because you're more in the activist community than I am. 
if like moving, being able to freely kind of move from place to place is considered a like not free and the freedom that like people are advocating for. Cause I think I would agree with you. That seems to be what people are advocating for. Like when unvaccinated people couldn't move from place to place, country to country, couldn't leave countries. Why, why weren't the people who are mad now mad then? And so that's one of the things when I see, cause I, again, I know literally I'm talking about people I know personally, this is through social media or whatever, but I know these people in real life. When I like see them being mad about those types of things, I was like, I don't believe I don't believe you actually care about that. Like, cause I don't, you, when, when it happened to us, when we couldn't freely travel or freely walk into a place, we couldn't get on a plane. Like you couldn't travel to countries. You couldn't come into this country. We blocked everyone. And then you were like, yes. So I was like, well, wait, why are you mad when they do it? Then they, why were you happy when they did it to us here, but you're mad when they did it over there? I don't. Like, I don't understand that part. I don't understand. And I don't understand how people internally rectify that within the activist community. I, because I don't think there's any good faith attempt to do so. I mean, no, we, that's a shame. We learn so much. It is a shame. Yeah. No, I, I share little anecdotes with you of, of events that still require masks and whatnot. Um, even even uh, protests and and uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that uh, required you know it was a sit-in and it required um, masks to be worn and. You know, I just feel, I mean, we've talked about this at such length, I don't know that we need to go deep, but, and you know, I, I tr attempted to raise this issue in one of my activist communities and yeah. was pretty aggressively, very aggressively actually shut down for that, uh, which which was sort of shocking and, and created a lot of disillusion. Uh, and it was never really satisfied in any way. Like, like the, you know, I, I you helped me actually kind of construct arguments to, to all these questions that were being posed. And the, the the thing was I had used the term vaccine segregation. Um, yeah. And it, the, the, I was called in, quote unquote, uh, oh, the, yeah, I like that phrase. for using the term segregation. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, no, we need to reserve segregation for, I don't know if this is exactly the language, but the, the, yeah. the, the intention was like for quote unquote, real segregation. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, Black people in America, like yeah, I'm like yeah, because the identity of this particular group is white men. So it's like we're so like over like hyperly sensitive to yeah. Oh my God, we we have to like only and some of it's out of respect. I mean, it's complex. Some of it is genuine yeah. respect and knowledge yeah. of what happened in the U.S. Yeah, some of it is like so sort of overstated and misplaced in the sense that wait, why is like an anarchist group? adhering to you know po populist opinion about what keeps us safe that's the only explanation i can keep giving you brendan because i've yeah, been yeah. in circles for so long is that it's a populist opinion about what keeps us safe yeah. and that's the justification for all of it now i know you've done gobs of research to say well that's just not rational yeah yeah but, but that's the claim that. yeah yeah well and but the, again this is the great thing it does help us understand israel it helps us understand israel even more than anybody where it's like all this like stuff you're like all this in the West Bank I would call it apost apartheid in the West Bank I would call it colonization in Gaza I wouldn't I think apartheid and colonization is completely inappropriate there they're just literally maintaining borders um and so I was like I mean it's I think it's a it's a it's an overly strict anti-immigration policy I guess is what you would call it in terms of like keeping people out uh, and I don't like it and I also just think it's a hateful cultural thing in Israel against people in Gaza that I don't like I think it's gross um but since 
we, we can understand then that because they're like, okay, well, here are all the terrible things we have to do to keep us safe. And it doesn't matter whose rights we trample on. And it doesn't matter who we treat like trash because it's all to keep us safe. That's absolutely what Israel is saying. It's the same argument. So in that way, we can understand those arguments. Yeah, the thing, because you got such a crummy blowback that I was like, well, wait, is it are any of those same people using like language like apartheid or segregation or genocide or that sort of colonization or whatever in the Israel palace? Are some of the same people having those all of a sudden not caring how careful you use words anymore as it relates to Israel and Palestine, in which case 100%. I'm like, so I was like, wait a second. Like a thousand percent. Like, yes. yeah, yeah. There's, so a, was like there's that, a Jewish that... guy in the group who's, who's yeah. like, you know, which I, I mean, I appreciate that, you know, but yeah, he's, he's sort of talking a lot about how challenging it is to be a Jew, you know, speaking out against genocide. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the yeah. Language, you know? So, yeah. So then I was like, that, that's the thing I don't, I just don't, that part really has been has been bugging me and i and it and i i just say this actually this is my warning as a semi centrist or maybe i just delude myself i'm a centrist um i'm willing to accept that i'm a delusional uh is i've been talking to you about this too andy as i was like especially people advocating for palestine you're doing yourself a disservice by using incautious language and there's a lot that needs to be like clarified in terms of the reliability of your narration if you've then previously been advocating, you're now basically advocating against that which you advocated for with no apology or explanation. And then likewise, if you're wearing masks, I said the same thing. I was like, hey, if you're going to Palestinian protests, stop wearing masks, guys. If you want to get people on your side and make you think you're reasonable assessors of what's transpiring, just stop wearing masks. It's not helping you. All that's doing is telling a very small slice of the population that you're like them. It's a tribalistic signifier, but you're alienating most people because most people don't wear them anymore because they realize they're not really relevant. And and I think most people realize they're not, they never really were that relevant. And then no one really wants, and then I'd say the majority just doesn't even want to examine it beyond that. They're like, oh, I guess it didn't help that much, but all right, well, we're done now. Stop doing it. Like it's hurting your cause enormously. It's at this point, I shared a couple things with you. I was like, multiple people have referred to masks as like, the KKK hood of the progressive anti-Semitic movement. Whoa. Like it's a, it's a powerful signifier. It's like, it's a, it's, it's not helping anyone. It's a, it's, it's harming your cause so much to use poor language. And I want the cause to be heard. <laughs> I want the like pro-Palestinian, like advocating for people who are subjugated some by their own choice. I think obviously we looked at the polling that like 70 something percent of people support Hamas and Gaza. So Hamas is, Palestine, you know, Hamas is Gaza, um, and they and they like them. So it's not just like, oh my gosh, but there's plenty of people who don't. You know what I mean? And then, so I and I want all the people who like Hamas and don't like Hamas to like have a chance to like live long enough to be different, to have a different life, and to have a better life, and have a more free life. But I just I noticed those two concerns were starting to drive me crazy. Whereas I'm just like, but I don't want to be the person who's like just because someone has a has a bad argument or is a hypocrite doesn't mean their argument is wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I want to be able to hold that, like the multiplicities of that, that like or just somewhat, you know. Certainly something we both hold is that none of this makes anybody disposable, right? And that's yes, exactly. Yeah. One of the Neither. challenges with yeah. the language and some of the, the stuff or the energy of some of these protests, you start to think, yeah, gosh, are uh, <laughs> are they in some way, directly or indirectly, actually advocating for, for people being disposable? Yeah, that's the thing. Let's not become those that we oppose. 
Well, that's a good note to land on. Uh, Yay. Love you, my friend. I love you very much. We solved it. <laughs> Done. You're welcome. You're welcome. Freedom for all. Ugh.